0: Two weeks ago, I gave you a short summary statement about why our church exists, what are we doing here in Dundalk, and the statement was, Dundalk Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through worship, brotherly love, and global missions. At that time, we looked at the first part of the statement with respect to the glory of God and the supremacy of Christ in worship, and not just why we sing, why we preach or pray or read God's word, all of which are good things, but we saw there is a way to worship in vain, where the words, the songs that leave our lips, the, you can hear the preaching with your ears, and yet your heart is far, far from the Lord, and so worship was a matter of the heart we talked about that last time today though today i want to look at the next part which is we exist to glorify god and proclaim the supremacy of christ in all things through brotherly love christian fellowship by actually being the church not just on sundays but every day remembering that we are one body we are one family This place should be a place where real, supportive, faith-building relationships are achieved, are cultivated. When you look around this room, you see people from all different parts of the world, all different walks of life, and yet, by God's grace and in His kind providence, He has saved us and He's brought us all to this church. Now, I'm not saying you have to be best friends with everyone, Like every family, we have our quirks. We are still sinners, and we will get on each other's nerves, but that's the nature of dealing with people. But as Christians and fellow members of Dundalk Baptist Church, we should see each other as children of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus, all having been brought into this Messiah family. And as such, we ought to be there for one another gladly caring for each other's physical and spiritual and emotional needs. Now, I pause for just a moment to remind you of something we've looked at before, and that is the Bible, particularly in the the New Testament, does not know of a Christian who is not a member of a local church. That's not a thing. In fact, there are many commands in the New, New Testament that can only be fulfilled based on the presupposition that one is a member of a local church. For example, Hebrews thirteen seventeen we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And in the context there, it's referring to church leaders, pastors. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, the pastors of this church won't um, have to give an account for what's going on with the members in a different church. And the members of this church won't have to submit or obey the pastors of another church. But if you are not a member, neither of these can truly take place. The New Testament speaks of believers as part of, as members of a local church. And as members of this local church, we want to have deep, meaningful relationships with one another, rooted in love, because such relationships are, as Dr. Piper has said, an expression of our passion for the supremacy of God's love. And as visitors come in here, We want that feeling to be palpable that this church, the members of this church, not only love God and sing from their heart and desire to hear what the living God has said, but they are also there for one another. They care for one another. They're like a family, and not just on Sundays, but there is care and help given throughout the week. And in the midst of adversity, they're not running away or bickering or fighting, they are running to one another. There's rejoicing when one member rejoices. There's weeping when one member weeps. Is that not a vision for this church? Is that not how we ought to think and to be? That would be a church who truly has as its aim the glory of God and the proclamation of the supremacy of Christ in all things. And so what I want to do today is to give you a backward sermon. I want to start with the application How does the Bible call us to live like this? In what ways are we to have fellowship with one another in the church? And then I want to end with the reason why this is so important. So imperatives first, and then indicatives. So what does this look like? How does a church who has this attitude at its core act? Let me give you a few ways. First is humility. Philippians 2, one to 4 I want you to realize something, that this was written to the church in Philippi. Uh, Such a statement has broad application, and if you've come to any of the grace of marriages, you know that uh, this is a verse that Ashley and I use a lot for, for marriage, but it was written to the church. And so, look around this room here. Who do you see? Count them all as more significant than yourself. Count them as worthy of your help. Count them as worthy of your love. It doesn't say they are worthy, but count them as such. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's a radical statement in our world. Everything around us is geared toward our desires, our interests, our wants. Right? Unless you click no, all the ads on the internet are geared towards showing you the things that you're interested in. We live in and it's all about me world, but that's not the attitude of the church. It's not about you, it's about Christ. And his kingdom is other oriented. <coughs> Pride has brought down many a church but humility raises it to heaven. So we must be a, a, a humble people. Second, serve. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So you were called to freedom, now serve. Right? You, you are free from servitude, now submit in love to servitude. What kind of logic is that? If, if the shackles that have tightly bound us to the power and penalty of sin, if the chains that held our hearts captive to the love of the things of this world have been removed in the death of Christ such that we are now fully enthralled with who God is in Christ, then we are free to love with a love that's motivated by the, the fullness of joy we have in Christ, a love that, which is the overflow of the all-satisfying presence of God that fills us, a love that does not seek its own. And it's in this love that we bind ourselves to serve one another, to encourage one another, to help one another. And there are numerous ways that you can help your brothers and sisters in this congregation. But let me give you one that seems insignificant, but maybe more vital than you even realize. During the announcements for the past couple months, I've said that if you would like to serve by putting your name down, as someone we can call to be a driver for those who need help getting to church in your area to let me know. Now, perhaps this seems like an insignificant thing, but look into the future with me if you can. Right now, it has been planned to, di- to divide the city of Oxford into 15-minute uh, zones. People will be given a limited number of passes to drive into other zones. And once you run out, and if you're caught driving into another zone, you will be heavily fined. You're only supposed to live in your 15-minute slice of Oxford. It's only a couple weeks after that I saw a similar thing was being planned for Paris. Last week, I saw that some were pushing to do that throughout all of Scotland. And if you don't think that craziness can happen here, five people from Ireland registered to attend the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos this past week, including the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar. So, how will you get to church when you are outside of the zone the church is in? Will it be important to you? Will you even care? Will you be ready to help those who can't get here? In love, serve one another. The the acts of service that often seem insignificant may turn out to be the most important. Third, be burden bearers. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you want to be a true friend? a true brother or sister in the Lord, bear one another's burdens. In Exodus 17, Amalek and his army came to fight against Israel. Moses told Joshua that he will go and stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in his hand. And then we read in verse 11, Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But in time, Moses' arms grew tired. And they began to fall. And Israel started to lose the fight. So Aaron and Hur made a seat for Moses on the rocks. And Aaron grabbed one hand of Moses and Hur grabbed the other hand and they held up Moses' hands. And at the end of verse 12 we read, So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. This is how we are to be for one another. You see someone sinking down let me help hold you up. You can't raise your hands under your own strength. Let me lift them up for you. There are many in this room right now who carry a heavy load on their shoulders that weighs them down. Help to bear their burdens. I love what John Piper says regarding this verse. He says, quote, If a Christian brother or sister is weighed down or menaced by some burden or threat, be alert, be alert. Be alert to that and quickly do something to help. Don't let them be crushed. Don't let them be destroyed. Don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus said they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their finger. Don't increase burdens. Make them lighter for people. Some of you wonder what you're supposed to do with your life. Here is a vocation that will bring you more satisfaction than if you became a millionaire ten times over. Develop the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself daily to making them lighter. That's a calling. That's a calling. Fourth, encourage encourage 1st Thessalonians 5 17 therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing sometimes we think that encouragement is when is used specifically when people are down right or they're suffering well now is it in time for encouragement we can't wait for times of trial or persecution to start encouraging one another by then it might be too late That should be our attitude now, to encourage one another in the Lord. Rod Dreher, in his book, Live Not by Lies, recounts the persecution of evangelicals in communist Russia. He interviewed a Baptist pastor who lived through it. And speaking of the persecution, this is what the pastor said. He said, "...the strongest strike was against the preachers and the pastors, first of all. They took the preachers and pastors to prison. Other men stood up and filled their shoes." Then they took their houses of prayer. Then at that point began the practice of small groups. People who lived close to one another would gather in small groups. There was no formal structure of pastors or deacons. They were just brothers and sisters who read the Bible together, prayed together, and sang. When they jailed my father, my mother was left alone, he continues. Several other sisters were left without husbands, we all got together, we found the Bible they had hidden. The women were reading the Bible to all of us. They were telling people how should live, how they should live, what, what we had to hope for. They prayed together and cried. These small groups continued the life of the Baptist Church for decades until Gorbachev released the last evangelical prisoners of conscience. This pastor continues, 60 years of terror, they were unable to get rid of the faith. There was no literature, no organizations for teaching, and even movement was forbidden. Believers wrote, rewrote biblical texts by hand, even the songs that we sang. I even remember writing these notebooks for myself, but they persevered in the true faith. Many of us didn't even have Bibles. Just to be able to find yourself in a situation where there was a group and one person was reading the Bible to others was the greatest motivation. And so despite no pastors, no deacons, for many no husbands, they met and encouraged one another through prayer and Bible reading and singing. Let, let us not have such a short memory that we hear this story and think, well, that's an extreme example. We're not going to be in that position. COVID lockdowns ended less than two years ago. And if the elites of this world have their way, that may only be the beginning. This is why coming to church is so important. This is why being here is so important. Yes, we ought to sing. Yes, we ought to desire to hear God's word preached and read. But we need to be encouraged by one another. To continue to hold firm in the faith, in jobs that may be antagonistic to Christian belief. In schools that teach what is contrary to God's word. In our own lives when trials come. In First Samuel 23, David's life was in danger. Saul had found out that he was in Keilah, and the Lord informed David that the people of Keilah were going to turn him over to Saul to be killed. So David is on the run and he goes to hide in the wilderness of Ziph. But then the Ziphites go to Saul and say, David's hiding with us. Come down and we'll turn him over to you. And so once again, David barely escapes. But between David's running from Kalah and his escape from Saul in the wilderness of Ziph, we read these words in 1 Samuel 23, 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. My friends, encourage one another. Encourage one another. In the Lord, build one another up in the grace and knowledge of God because the days of this life are full of Trials. There's so many more one another commands that we could look at, and I encourage you to go home and look them up and do a little study for yourself. Um, You will be greatly blessed to see what God's Word says about how we should be members of this body, but I want to look at just one more. And so fifth and lastly, love. 1 John 4, 7-8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We are to love because we are sons and daughters of the God who is love. We are to be like our Heavenly Father, but realize that love does not mean affirming someone in whatever they believe. In our present world, love equals affirmation. Of anything someone believes, no matter how nonsensical. Which is why people are labeled now as anti abortion or anti vax or fat phobic or transphobic. It's because love equals affirmation of whatever somebody believes. But that's not it, love corrects when there is an error. Love rebukes when one is in sin. Love builds up when one has been torn down. Love serves when one needs help. Love covers a multitude of sins. Despite the fact that many uh, pastors preach 1 Corinthians 13 during marriage ceremonies, it is in fact a text written to the church. And Paul says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We are to love each other in such a way that we model Christ and our love points one another to the truth of God's word and the reality of all the things that are contained therein. Those are just just a few of the imperatives, a few of the one another's. Show humility and regard one another as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Bear each other's burdens. Encourage one another. Love one another. Why are we to be like this? Why is this how the members of a church should act toward one another? Because this is how we keep each other from falling away. Undergirding all of these one-another imperatives is Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. And so if you want to turn there, you can. We'll spend a little bit of time here looking at Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3, 12 to 14. And and I want you to listen to these verses, and I want you to feel the weight, the the seriousness of what they say, that being part of a church is not making a brief appearance on a Sunday morning and then fling out the door the second the last amen is said. Here's Hebrews 3, 12 uh, and 13. The author writes, Take care, brothers. We could translate that as pay attention or beware. Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice that we're given two imperatives again, right? Take care. And exhort one another. Well, what's the reason for these imperatives? What's, what's the grounding of those commands? Look to verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Notice he doesn't say, the author doesn't say, if we hold our original conf- confidence to the end, we will share in Christ. And that's not it perseverance in the faith to the end is evidence that you have shared in Christ, that your faith was real. So the author is saying, look around your church. If one of your brothers or sisters does not persevere to the end, they have demonstrated that they never shared in Christ. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to them. Now, you may be thinking, but we can't save anyone. We can't keep anyone saved, so how can you say don't let that happen? We have to remember that God has not just ordained the ends, but the means as well. And he has established his church so that the encouragement we receive from one another as a body fends off falling away into sin. Look back with me to verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest... What? The the verb here in Greek is future. Lest there shall be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. It may not be showing evidence right now, but sin is so deceitful. And isn't that what the author says in the very next verse? Sin diverts your attention away from God and and, and tries to convince you that whatever you're looking at is, is more valuable than him, more lovely than him, more desirable than him. And then the the tentacles of sin slowly creep around your heart and begin to petrify it and calcify it, turning it into a hardened, unbelieving heart. And then the next thing you know, you haven't been to church in six months, you don't care for fellowship with other believers, there's no fear of God before your eyes. This is one reason why the Bible knows of no such thing as a Christian who is not a part of a local church. It's one reason why the Bible knows of no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We were meant to live in community. We were meant to be there for one another. Fellowship is a means that God has ordained to help defend one another from such a catastrophe. When you look around this room, look and realize... That you are God's appointed means to prevent from happening this catastrophe to your brothers and sisters. You are God's appointed means to help them not fall away. That's why this is a big deal. How do we do that? If the reason we exist is to glorify God and proclaim the supremacy of Christ in all things through brotherly love, then in our regarding one another as more important than ourselves, in our serving, in our burden bearing, in our encouragement, in our love, we remind one another that the glory of God is more beautiful. The taste of the Lord is more satisfying. Christ is more enjoyable that Jesus is the immovable rock that we can anchor ourselves to in order to weather any trials or hardships that come. This is how we're to be as a church. Not just on Sundays, but every day. Exhort one another every day, he says. And as Christians and Christianity... Is hated more and more in the Western world. If the totalitarianism that we have seen over the past couple years should strengthen its resolve in whatever form, soft or hard totalitarianism, we will need each other every day. But if we wait until then, it will be too late. So hear these words from the author of Hebrews once again exhort one another every day while it is still called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to hear the, the, the weightiness of this verse that we would not come to church thinking, oh, it's just some club that I get to be a part of. But rather that you have ordained your church to function in such a way that the members of this body are the means by which you have placed to help others not to fall away. So we pray that you would make us one body, that we would indeed think of each other as more important than ourselves, that we would serve one another. We would bear each other's burdens. We would encourage one another in the Lord. That we would love one another just as God in Christ has loved us. Help us, Lord. Help us to think like this. Help this church to be so radically different than anything around that people take notice. Help us to heed these words, to exhort one another every day because we know how deceitful sin can be. Forgive us where we have failed. May we repent and trust in Christ that he died even for these sins. And may we strive to be there for one another. We thank you, Christ, that you have indeed borne our sins, that you have paid the penalty for us, that no matter where anybody is from here, that because of your saving power, your grace, you have rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us to this local embassy of the kingdom of God, that we might be a family. Help us to think in these terms. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the music group is going to come forward, and before our Sunday school, we're going to sing